0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is Off Track, Australia's nature program. You might have heard recently, in October this year, that a couple of cane toads turned up in Canberra. They were probably hitchhikers. And I thought, well, that's as good a time as any to pull out this program about hitchhiking cane toads from years gone by. Take a listen to this. This is Off Track. I'm Ann Jones, and today we're in Sydney, Australia. It's Australia's biggest city, but even the most urban and developed places are not immune to the movement of animals. Some of that movement is natural, like these yearly screaming koals looking to parasitise the nests of local wattlebirds this summer. But some movement of animals is very much a man-made thing.
2: So there's about 50 toads turn up in Sydney every year, but usually it's like an isolated individual doesn't get transported anywhere near a a suitable breeding area and certainly not with um, breeding opportunities with multiple individuals.
1: Dr Matt Greenlees is with the University of Sydney, and despite being a snake bloke, he's actually made a career out of cane toad research. Cane toads are an introduced animal here in Australia. They have poisonous glands, which means that when a hapless Australian animal eats them, that animal dies. And the toads are spreading outwards from their release site in the north of Australia.
2: We've seen the last few years, there's been a lot of attention on the the top end and the declines in fauna like the yellow spotted goannas and quolls up there but on the east coast it hasn't received the same amount of attention despite the fact you've still got those same patterns it's just probably because of the speed of the invasion um and it it's it sort of being a soft landing or a soft impact and taking that amount of time that people aren't or haven't been as concerned it's unfortunate because that's also got Uh, ramifications for how these these species are interpreted as being threatened or endangered by organisations like the IUCN, the time it takes for that impact to occur.
1: Mm. Mm. Because the IUCN privileges rapid decline over slow decline. So because those toads are moving in a southerly direction very slowly, the impacts are also being felt slowly. And slow decline doesn't set off the same bureaucratic conservation alarm bells as fast decline does. It's one of the limitations of the system. But make no mistake, no matter the pace, the toads are moving south, both as an invasion front and they're also being transported vast distances by humans.
2: Well, um, there's been individuals turn up in Hobart,
3: so... In wow. shipping
2: containers, so yeah, they can. They're a really tough animal, um, and as long as they've got access to water, every third to fourth day, they're capable of surviving for a while, and they can survive cold temperatures for reasonable amounts of time. Anyway, I would imagine you know, in border ranges, they're experiencing nighttime temperatures at dropping below ten degrees for multiple nights in a row and they're they're surviving up there. So they're a really hardy animal. So how far they can move is probably how far you can fly them or drive them.
1: Which brings us to this largely industrial place, just south of Sydney, Taran Point, right near the Cronulla Sharks home ground.
2: Back in 2010, Sutherland Council got a phone call from someone at one of the factories in the industrial area down there. They went out to investigate that and within not much time and with little effort found 10 or 15 toads. So they engaged a consultant who was Dr Arthur White who fortunately is a frog expert.
3: The problem was the toads had been there for a couple of years, had bred successfully, so there were hundreds of them.
2: Dr. Arthur
1: Wyatt is with the Frog and Tadpole Study Group of New South Wales, the same people who run the Banana Box Frog Rescue Service. There's an episode of Off Track all about that's worth a listen. But anyway, one of the things that the study group has done here in Sydney is to set up a program to monitor the cane toads that arrive in the city.
3: Oh, right. The, the cane toad alert program. Um, so we started it up because we were starting to get a, a disturbing number of toads uh, being collected by our frog collectors. And... We approached some of the experts in the field and asked them what's the chances, for instance, of toads, if they ever escape in Sydney, surviving and breeding. And the advice we had at the time was that, oh, Sydney's just too cold, they'll never survive here. That proved to be wrong. We got a lot of information coming back about how toads, where toads, were actually coming into Sydney. And it turned out the majority of them were actually coming in on the back of trucks that were bringing landscaping produce into Sydney. Now, the reason for this turned out was that a lot of the landscaping materials, like mulches and soil, you know, these sorts of things, are all coming from far north coast, New South Wales, or from the Gold Coast in Queensland. So we went up and had a look at some of these big supply companies, and of course they have these big outside bins where they stock their mulch and all the rest. Now, mulch is particularly, and wood chip and all that sort of stuff, it's it's wonderful because it gets nice and warm in the centre as it sits there. So toads are burrowing into the centre of this, you know, for the heat and then later on the backhoe will come along when they've got a delivery, yeah, scoop them up, chuck them in the back of the truck, they get carted down to Sydney, well it's a bit cooler here but you know, I can survive. So we, a lot of the reports we were getting of toads once the alert was out were from construction sites or places where there were major landscaping projects going on, you know, the guys would be doing, oh what the hell's that, you know, without realising it was actually in their materials.
1: In this industrial and built-up bit of Sydney, right near a rugby station and a road named after Captain Cook, in between car parks and trucks and building supply sites, there were toads. Lots of them.
2: Uh, they're not listed as a pest species because they don't affect agricultural livestock. You know, QDOS has to go to Sutherland Council because they're really under no obligation to do anything about it. So for the next five years after 2010, we've basically been going back at least once a week between August, September when it's starting to warm up and toads are becoming active through to about April and collecting and surveying for them and then at the same time trying to remove them. By 2012, we were finding very few toads. um, So we were getting more and more confident that we might have actually got on top of it.
1: How long do you reckon they'd been there to get to that extent and those sorts
2: of numbers? Well, at least three years, given the size range that we were picking up. So they were mature adults and there was hundreds of them, um, if not thousands.
1: So I thought, right, that Sydney was too cold for toads. We'd always been told that there was like this temperature line, that toads just wouldn't be able to survive through the year beyond this sort of temperature gradient where it gets a bit cold in the winter. But it sounds as if they were able to breed successfully year on year at that particular outbreak site.
2: Yeah, definitely. They bred at least three times that I know of in three different years that I'm aware of in Sydney. There's been a few people trying to predict, based on what we know about the thermal biology, of how far toads will be able to move down the, the east coast in particular and also the west coast, Definitely along the coast, it, it tends to be a lot warmer, so the environment's more favourable. There's also the potential that assisting them in that particular area is what's called the heat bubble effect, which occurs around urban areas and, and built-up areas around human habitation.
1: Yeah, and, and industrial areas often have lots of concrete as well, so I'm imagining that that can be a source of yeah, warmth.
2: and there's also generators and air conditioning units and stuff that are also happening to leak water or attract condensation which is providing water as well as warmth so it does provide these suitable shelter sites for toads on top of that i had a student in her phd sam mccann she um was basically yeah, looking at the ability of toads to acclimate She looked at toads from Northern New South Wales, toads from North Queensland, toads from the top end. Uh, Two years ago, we went over to Hawaii to do some work and we looked at high and low elevation occurring toads there with the volcanoes. And basically the toads from Northern New South Wales are really good at acclimating to cool temperatures. So the fact that the toads that have ended up in Tarran Point most likely came from that source population in Northern New South Wales.
1: And that means that they're from a population that has been shown to adapt particularly well to living in cooler climates. Track is all about the wild bits of Australia and that includes some of the wild but invasive species like cane toads. Matt Greenlees is with the University of Sydney and he was involved in trying to eliminate cane toads from a population which appeared in Sydney at Tarran Point near Cronulla. It was all going pretty well.
2: We started picking them up in 2010 by halfway through the 2012 season. Um, We were finding very few toads, so we thought we were on top of them. Um, I actually went to a conference and and proudly stood up and said, yeah, we've done great things. Got back and next thing we know that there was tadpoles. So a pair had managed to breed in one of the wetlands Toads breed in dams and ponds, still water, rather than creeks and streams and stuff like that. They don't tend to breed in those areas. They seem to like areas that have really open edges. When they eventually metamorphose, the the metamorphs like these open, muddy banks with a gentle slope, rather than anything like steep banks, densely vegetated. They don't seem to do particularly well in those sort of structured ponds. So each female toad can lay, oh, there's various figures being floated around, but conservatively 25 to 30,000 eggs at a time for a big female. So all you need is one pair. took us another two years. So April 2014 is the last time we found a toad in Tarrant Point. Touch wood went on top of it. Um, so we didn't get any in the 2015 season, 2016 season, and I'll be going out again this year to make sure. Touch wood, Tarrant Point is now cane toad free. And it's actually the first time that they've ever been eradicated from a mainland area um, without having to nuke the habitat.
1: Is it possible to use a bait that targets specifically only cane toads?
2: Yep. So there's been a couple of people in our lab, specifically uh, Michael Crosland. He's been working on this for many, many years, um, looking at exploiting the chemical cues used by tadpoles to interact with each other. When you've got an animal that is so fecund, so laying 30,000 eggs at a time, If more than one female lays in a pond that's a lot of competition so toads have evolved this trait where if there's tadpoles that are already established in a water body if another female toad comes and lays eggs in that water body just before those eggs are about to hatch they release a chemical cue that's picked up by the tadpoles that are already in the pond. So they come charging in and they're really good at finding them and they just cannibalise these tadpoles as they're hatching, so removing any competition from, from any other toads. So, yeah, Michael and a couple other people in the lab, Jane DeVore, um, Sam McCann's a PhD student working on this at the moment, trying to exploit that to bait traps with to get tadpoles into these traps. It's working extremely well. It's fickle, um, so we're still trying to nail down the specific details of how, how it's best done, um, but that's really promising. And that's another thing we threw at them at Taran Point to get rid of tadpoles that are laid in, that, in one of the wetlands.
1: there is another way to trap cane toads. Not the tadpoles this time, but the adult toads.
0: Um, My name's Ben Muller. I'm a PhD candidate at James Cook University in Townsville.
1: What sort of sound does a cane toad make?
0: Um, it's It's a sort of trilling, a low-frequency trill sound. It's, it's quite hard to describe. Um, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, if you live in northern Australia, um, you would have no doubt heard it at some point.
1: Is it sort of loud?
0: Um, yeah, it can be quite loud. So it can be up to 70, 80 decibels at, at one metre. Um, sure. So that's, that's quite a loud call. When you get a whole lot of toes together, it's quite deafening.
1: Do both females and males
0: call? Uh, just males call.
1: Just the males. Yeah. And what are they doing it for?
0: Uh, they're doing it to attract female toads to the to the breeding area. So a, toad, a male toad will generally uh, move towards like a lake or a waterhole or something and sit in that waterhole and make that advertisement call um, and that attracts females to, to come and mate.
1: So it follows then that if a toad is attracted to a call, if you play that call the toads will be attracted to it. They'll come in and you can trap them.
0: Um, And it kind of came about by the whole kind of observation that a lot of toads are attracted to male calls. So females and males are attracted. And if you sort of go to a a toad chorus or a, a water body or anything like this, there are hundreds and hundreds of toads there that have been attracted by these calls. So we sort of figured if we can harness that call and use it against the toads to kind of attract them into a trap, um, then there might be some merit in that. We recorded a whole lot of toads around around Townsville, so a colleague of mine did that a couple of years ago, and then we kind of identified basically what we, we call it the median cane toad call, so basically what a normal, in quotation marks, cane toad sounds like.
1: Here's a recording of a cane toad. And this is the median call of all the cane toads that Ben's colleagues recorded. It's a synthesised call, not a natural one. It's your Mr Joe Blow average Mr Cane Toad. It's pretty cool. But is the median call the best one to use in a trap,
0: So the call we use in these traps is an artificial cane toad call. So it sounds exactly like a natural cane toad call, but we made it. And the beauty of that is we can adjust the call. So we can change the call frequency and the call pulse rate and the call volume and a whole lot of other things. And various different combinations of frequency and pulse rate are more attractive to female toads. So, for example... The call that we've been using is a low frequency call with a high pulse rate. So that's representative of a large male cane toad that's putting a lot of energy to his call. For for a female cane toad that's a, a very good mate. So we've sort of used that logic to try and make these calls as attractive as possible to try and attract as many toads as possible into the traps.
1: So you're making the sexiest cane toad call in the world? (laughs)
0: <laughs> in theory, yes. <laughs> how,
1: do you, how do you plan to apply this research in terms of the future beyond academia?
0: You've got you know councils and governments and land managers and everything like this that wants to control toads or needs to control toads for their various areas. So this research is putting into developing this cane toad trap that we're developing with um, Animal Control Technologies Australia. And then the end game with that is it's something we'll be able to to market to you know, councils and governments and even members of the public um, to trap toads in the, those different areas. <laughs>
1: It's perhaps a good thing that a humane method of control will be available in the near future in Australia because there's a very deep hatred for cane toads in this country. Here's Dr Arthur White again talking about when toads first started to turn up in Sydney.
3: When we first started doing this, we thought, oh, well, what we need to do is contact the media and get it out there. You know, the toads are coming into Sydney and people need to be vigilant and, and if they see a toad, report it to, you know, these, these people what we didn't anticipate out of that was a certain amount of hysteria was generated for people who aren't australians this is going to sound peculiar but in australia toads are the absolute villain people hate toads with a vengeance and we've had all these stories permeating the australian mythology about you know, not just what toads can do to native animals but even to people you know they can kill people you know, it, it's sort of become blown right out of proportion, and toads are just this bogeyman sort of thing. And this became really obvious with some of the phone calls that we got. So we got a lot of people ringing up saying, oh, "I've got a cane toad in the backyard. You know, can you come and get it?" And you go out there, and it's not a cane toad, right? So, and, you, and you'll point out to the person, "It's not a cane toad. It doesn't matter. It's a cane toad." You know, I, I don't have frogs in my backyard. This thing's turned up. You know, I've seen cane toads in the newspaper. It's got to be a cane toad we had one lady an elderly lady ring up and she was clearly terrified because she had one in her backyard and she'd locked herself in the house right so i said i, I actually did this call myself so so i said right i will go out and, and we'll get it for you and solve the problem <coughs> anyway <coughs> drove up to a house and the house was all locked up and banged on the door and eventually a little face sort of Curtains are drawn back, and she, oh, okay, and the door just opens up. Yeah, oh, come on, come on. And I said, Oh, is the, is the toad still there? And she said, Yeah, yeah, I looked down the back, through the back window, and I could still see it in the back out. Okay, so we go through, and the back door's locked as well, so she got to unlock the door. And I said, Where? she said, oh, I was down in the garden, just underneath the tree there. And I could see something, but anyway, we're a fair way away. So I wandered down there. When I got down there, it was a blue tongue, right? So I picked it up and I thought, oh, I'll just show it's a blue tongue. And I took it up and, and I got within about 10 metres of the back door and she screamed, she said, Take it away, take it away, I hate toads. I said, It's not a toad, it's, it's a lizard. It's a toad, I hate toads. I, and she was so, she couldn't see anything else but toads, it had to be toad. You know, it was just hysteria. There's no other way. Anyway, in the end, I, I had to take the blue tongue away, even though it was <laughs> not what I went there to get.
1: That's really incredible. So so people reacted in such a guttural manner to this yeah. idea of this invasive species. However, there are invasive species all over our gardens. Bad, I mean, in fact, gardens are invasive too, species. Too
3: bad, but the <laughs> mythology is that these things are poisonous. And you hear the silly stories about, you know, that they can spit their poison and all this sort of stuff, and people believe that. It was amazing. We never expected that response, but it was real.
1: Have you ever come across...
2: A toad hysteria? Uh, Yeah. So, unfortunately, when toads were first moving through the Darwin, uh, Litchfield area, there was a report in the newspaper that a lady had determined that her her pond was full of cane toad tadpoles. So, she drained it and killed all the toad tadpoles. And it turned out that toads were still a good 20 k's from where she was. And she'd unfortunately killed a bunch of native tadpoles. So that is an unfortunate consequence, I suppose, of this enthusiasm to do something about it. So just making sure that people are aware they're identifying toads as me uh, correctly.
1: Matt Greenlees was the last voice you heard there. And there are some links to information on how to identify cane toads correctly on the Off Track website. And I'll also put them out on Twitter and social media. And I'm Ann Jones, and this frog recording, incidentally, isn't recorded by me. Karen and James sent it to me. They recorded it at Barren Grounds Nature Reserve just south of Wollongong, and it features a giant burrowing frog. Thankfully, the cane toads aren't at that reserve yet. I'm Ann Jones and keep the phone handy for recordings until next time because that's when I'll take you somewhere else.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great
1: ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.